Episode 65 of the Florida Trail Runners Podcast. And we are talking with Ben Snyder, Dr. Ben Snyder. And he was another one of those Floridians who took on the Barkley Fall Classic. We chat about psychology, we chat about performance, imposter syndrome, finding your why, and what went down at the Barkley Fall Classic. And of course, Ben, he put his best shoe forward and of course that in itself is a story to tell so let's kick it off hey hey how's it going good not too bad how are you oh i'm doing well but yeah i guess we could kick it off with you know a little bit about yourself and i guess that running history yeah um well so a little bit about myself uh first um you know i'm a uh Currently, I try to identify myself as an ultra runner, um, so I'm really interested in uh, doing a lot of the longer races uh, because of a lot of family commitments and, and whatnot. Uh, it's harder for me to get into the real long stuff, so the 100 milers and 100 Ks, um, but I really do enjoy the, that 50K to kind of 50 mile distance. I think that's that's a lot of fun and it's something I can train for pretty consistently and it's a, it's a good challenge, um, but it also allows me to interact with the family over the weekends and and you know um work a full-time job and help you know coach my kids soccer teams and stuff like that um so it's you know for me it's about trying to find that balance um my history with running um is uh, you know started out uh, i've always been an athlete i've always played sports uh, growing up i played a little bit of everything but as i got older just like anybody um who's an athlete they, we kind of specialize in a, in a sport and so basketball was my sport growing up and um it, throughout high school i did run i ran cross country and i also ran track in the spring i grew up in west virginia um but <laughs> the the coaches kind of knew that i was there just to stay in shape um, i actually never really took that running very seriously um, I was usually one of the ones kind of in the back, just running along, um, you know, it was just there just to, like I said, just to keep me in shape for basketball season. And then once basketball conditioning began, I would drop off the, the cross country team, begin conditioning with the basketball team and then play through the season. And then usually our basketball season ended, um, shortly after track season began or shortly before, yeah, shortly after track season began. So the track coach knew I'd be missing all the track practices while I was playing on the basketball team. And then I would just, after basketball is over, transition over to track. Um, and again, same thing with track. I never really took it very seriously. Um, it was just the thing to kind of keep me in shape um, and to keep me competitive. Um, and then ended up going to, to, to college and you still play basketball. Um, but then after I graduated, I did what most people do. I just got a job and I stopped playing basketball. I stopped exercising as much. I would work and then I'd come home and then I'd eat and then I'd go to bed and then wake up the next day and work and eat. And I just, I sort of got in that rut and ended up putting on some weight. <laughs> I got invited to go play some basketball with some buddies of mine at, uh, at actually my wife's uh, work. Um, and they did. There was just a random Tuesday night pickup at a at a at a rec center, and I remember going. And the guys were telling me that yeah, they'd see me shoot around a little bit, and they're like, "Oh yeah, you're gonna be real good. Like you know, it'll be a lot of fun." And it started out good, but after about two minutes of running up and down the court, I was winded. Um, the next day, I could barely walk because I was so sore, and I just I just couldn't do it anymore. Um, so my uh, my wife and I decided that we were going to try to get back into shape. And my brother was a big runner. He was the runner in the family. He he ended up running um, for college. He ran at the U.S. Air Force Academy um, on Springs. Uh, he ran cross country or an outdoor track for them. He was a real competitive marathon runner. Um, actually had some Olympic aspirations for a little bit before he ended up with an injury. And uh, so running was always part of my life growing up with him. Um, he just, that's what he loved. I was always the, the hand-eye coordination guy, the ball sport guy. Um, and he was always the the endurance and hustle guy growing up. And so um, 
so I knew about running. Um, I, I he had a Runner's World subscription since yeah, I think before anybody knew Runner's World was a magazine. Um, so I knew something about it, and so I decided, well, lose this weight and get back. I'm just going to start running. And so uh, my wife and I decided we we're going to we we're going to identify a 5K to go run. That was going to be our and so we did the original couch 5k thing um and so we actually did it at disney world um she found the inaugural princess uh on weekend um and they had a 5k component to it and so we decided we were going to run that and i remember running it and you know we did pretty well um for you know what i thought back then um looking back on it i we were run, running up basketball shoes and with basketball shorts on and you know, <laughs> they're great. Um, but yeah, so I remember running that and feeling so good about myself. And then afterwards, the, the day after, so the had the 5k was on one day and the half marathon was on the next day. And so we're going to breakfast and I'm seeing all of these people running this half marathon. And I, you know, I'm not, I don't feel as great about my accomplishment anymore. I feel like, you know what, I really could have done this half marathon. I kind of cheated myself out of this. And I didn't like that feeling. And so um, actually the next year we registered for the marathon. Uh, we initially started with, let's just run the half and see how we feel. But at, at registration, uh, I told my wife that I, I never want that feeling again. If there's if there's a, a challenge that's there, I want to try to do it. I don't want to walk away from it feeling like I did the letter of, of the challenge. And so that next year we registered for our first marathon and then I've just been kind of running ever since. Um, and so that was 2010 was my first marathon. Nice. And I know you're also a, a psychologist. Yes. Yeah. So um, I'm a, a licensed clinical psychologist here in the state of Florida. Um, I'm the managing partner at a one of the largest group practices um, in the Tampa Bay area. Um, we have... Let's say I manage, I think we have about 21 providers at this point. Um, and we're located, we have a, a couple of different offices um, in the Tampa Bay area. Um, and so, and one of my areas of specialty is, is actually sports psychology. Um, so in addition to my clinical practice, um, we also have a, a full, it's myself, um, and then two of our other doctors there, Dr. Jeff Peel and Dr. Abby Sainholtz. Um, we have a, a full uh, sports psych practice as well. Yeah, I've always been interested in like the study of like the treatment and like concerns related to, you know, sports performance. So I guess for people who don't know what sports psychology is, what is it? Yeah, it's, yeah, people say sports psychology um, because, you know, that's when it's used the most, but really um, it's more just performance related psychology. Um, so any, you know, I've seen everything from the, um, the more common sports. So, you know, the, the soccers and the footballs and the swimming basketballs um, all the way to, you know, other kinds of activities where the things like emotion control or anxiety or self-confidence, um, anything like that, that can impact your performance. So I've worked with public speakers as well. I've worked with some kind of interesting athletes as well. So for a little while, I had to learn some things about back throwing. Uh, we have worked with people that um, in the, uh, the financial realm. So um, anything from day traders to... Um, just full-on stockbrokers. Um, yeah, there's a lot of pressure on your position to to perform, um, and that for whatever reason, like I said, whether it's a confidence issue or an anxiety issue or an emotional control issue or motivational issue, whatever it is, um, their performance is impacted by one of those things. So, um, yeah, typically it's 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 going to be in sports, but it's kind of all over the place. Um, I, I really love working with athletes. Um, they, uh, I love my clinical practice um, and working with those patients. It's fantastic. Um, but working with the athletes is just a little bit different. Um, they come in, they come in motivated. Um, they come in ready. They come in with already a pretty strong work ethic. Uh, they're looking for tools. And the, the most amazing thing is that once they start utilizing those tools that they're given, you start to see that improvement in performance. So it just it's a really fun and a rewarding group of uh, people to work with and a group that you can get really excited with well, uh, because you can be there to celebrate accomplishments. Most of the athletes that I work with are anywhere. They're ranging in age from you know, high school 
um, athletes and they're looking, these are athletes looking to transition to the next level, whatever that means for their sport. So it could be they're looking at Olympic aspirations, or it could be that they are looking to get into professional or collegiate level athletics. Um, I also work with uh, the, the college level athlete, uh, athletes who, again, are trying to get up to that next level. And actually a really interesting group um, uh, that, that has been coming in um, are professional athletes who are transitioning out of professional athletics and back into you know, kind of quote unquote the real world. So you know there there are very few professional athletes out there that make enough money during their career to be able to be set for life. Most of them have to they exit their sport and then they have to come back and do something. They have to work. Um, some of them find jobs within their sport, but some of them just go and they they get a job is whatever um, a manager at something and so it's a really interesting transition and it's hard for a lot of people to deal with moving from that that style of life to kind of the more you know regular nine to five kind of style so we're seeing a, a, you know, more of those coming in as well yeah and i think it's super helpful for people or athletes you know regardless of what they do you know to reach out and obviously either seek help or advice because obviously your performance your performance affects your mind and you know in the same boat your mind if you know it it affects your performance yeah oh absolutely absolutely Absolutely. Um, and, you know, a lot of the, the athletes that I see, uh, you know, the, the, the predominant focus is on their sport performance. Um, but, you know, what you really find is the, the thing that makes them the most successful in their sport um, is also sometimes the thing that causes them the most distress, not only in sports, but, you know, in the rest of, you know, kind of the rest of their lives. Um, and a lot of these athletes really, really identify with their sport of choice. Um, you know, again, most of the ones that I work with, we're talking more on like the elite level. You know, I don't really work with the little kids uh, because little kids transition between sports so frequently. And honestly, a lot of the work that I do is pretty cognitive, so it requires a certain level of, of insight and, and, and understanding of how the brain works and recognizing that mind-body connection. Um, so the littler ones don't really work with me. And also, um, you know, your average high school athlete isn't going to come to work with us. Yeah, these are going to be the, the ones that I'm working with are, are typically going to be the, the star player, the one that has won their entire life. Um, but, you know, the great thing about sports is the more you win, the more opportunities come for you. So if you're, you know, if you prove to be a pretty solid baseball player, for example, in a little league, then you're going to be offered spots on, on travel teams, for example. Um, and if you start to do really well on certain teams, you get offered spots on higher level teams and higher level teams. And so you're given more opportunities. But what ends up happening for a lot of these players is all of a sudden they realize they go from being easily the top person on their team to now being playing against peers, playing against other kids that are also the top on their, that were always the tops on their teams and trying to figure out how do they fit in and how can they continue to, to grow. And when they really identify as, you know, I am a baseball player, I'm going to be a pro baseball player, I'm going to be a collegiate baseball player or whatever. And then they get put in an environment where they're not shining and uh, it, it can really impact their their whole sense of self and what their long term goals were, um, how they identify, you know, all of their confidence levels. So it really does. It, it's, it gets wrapped up into you know all levels of functioning. So my focus with them is on sport, but it often does turn into uh, kind of a bigger identity kind of thought or um, identity kind of discussion. Yeah, and I could definitely re relate to that and the same issues going from, you know, high school cross country to then college cross country. And I think like fear and confidence plays a big role in things, whether either it, you know, subconsciously or like active in your brain. I had a coach when I was in high school, Bob Schul. He won the 1964 Olympic gold in the 5,000 meter. And what Bob taught me, and I'll never forget it, he told me that fear can be good and bad. Yeah. You know, sometimes, you know, Sometimes you race for your parents or, you know, for that achievement and how proud they'll be, or you can find some things that, you know, excites you and you can use that fear at the right time. Oh, yeah. However, There's actually something I talk to pretty much all of my athletes about, uh, and it's, I don't know if you've heard of it, it's called the, the Yerkes-Dobson Law or the Yerkes-Dobson Curve. And uh, essentially what it shows is um, you know, if you track performance, and this is, you know, I, I talk to people mostly about athletic performance, but this is really performance you know, across the board. Um, as stress or anxiety levels increase, um, actually your performance gets better. Um, so anxiety is actually extraordinarily functional in a lot of ways. Stress levels are extraordinarily functional. Um, and it really makes sense if you think about it. If, you know, if you're thinking about like school, for example, um, if you're in school and you find out that you have a test the next day and it's a class that you really care about and you're worried about the test, what are you going to do for it? You're going to prepare. You're going to pay attention in class. You're going to do the homework. You're going to do all of the things that make you ready to take that test. Um, you might go to bed early that night or focus on eating a good breakfast or whatever. And so you care enough to actually do the stuff that prepares you for 
your performance. Whereas um, if it's a test you don't care about, um, maybe a class you don't care about, or that's very easy, or just something that's that's not even a thought in your mind, we're not stressing about it at all. Well, we're not going to do those things. We maybe are not going to pay attention as much in class, or maybe we're not going to study as much. Maybe we'll decide we're going to stay up late tonight and play Xbox instead of studying for this test. And it's because we're not stressed about it. And so stress and anxiety actually, it, it, it really improves performance in a lot of ways, but there comes a point. Um, and, you know, in, you know, when people talk about being in the zone in athletics, this is where this point is, and it's called the zone of optimal performance. Um, and it is where the stress levels are at the point where your performance level is at its peak. But if stress levels increase just a little bit more, performance level begins to plummet. Um, and so this is, you know, academically, this is where you hear about things like test anxiety. Um, so a kid knows everything going into an exam. They study like crazy the night before. They know everything on the review. But then when you put the test down in front of them, their mind goes. Um, or this is going to be, you know, in, in sports context, this is going to be, you know, the guy that can't hit the free throw in the fourth quarter, um, where the stress is just too great on them and they are just unable to perform. Um, and so, you know, for me, uh, my goal is always to help people find that zone, put them right up to the edge with that stress, that fear, that anxiety, but not take it too far. Because if we can do that, then you're going to perform your best. Yeah, because you've already put in the work, you've already done all the training or studying. And sometimes, you know, this obviously the situation changes, Yeah, like either from going after college or after high school to injury or even to like childbirth, you know, you're in a different situation at this point, like. For me, for me, two years ago, like I could smash out a casual long run at like 610 to 630 pace. Right. But now I'm in a place where I'm going to be struggling at 730. Yeah. And kind of what you alluded to was imposter syndrome. Is it real? Oh, absolutely. It's real. Um, absolutely. Um, and it, it, you know, it, it plagues not just athletics, but, uh, you know, professional life and, um, you know, uh, social lives, there's a, pretty consistently among people, there's this fear of if somebody really got to know me or saw who I really was, they wouldn't like me as much. I wouldn't be as popular. Or I wouldn't get this promotion or, you know, this whole fake it till you make it thing. Um, it's, it's, it's absolutely there. Um, and yeah, again, I see it a lot in, in a lot of the athletes that I work with, um, where, especially the ones that are like, right on the edge, like they are right there ready to get into um yeah they get drafted or to get that scholarship from the school they're wanting um when they're right there um you know it's as an athlete growing up you are constantly told the odds of success you know that everybody wants to be a pro athlete but only a certain amount of them do um i think the last time i looked at the statistics i think it's something along the lines of about three percent of high school athletes actually go on and play a sport in college and then of those athletes, only about 1% make it to whatever the next level is in their sport, whether it be Olympic or professional. Um, and then, you know, of those, only about 0.1% of them are actually what you would consider, you know, superstar or elite athletes. Uh, you know, only one person out there is going to win a gold medal out of all of these people competing. There's only one team that's going to win a championship every year out of all of the players out there in the leagues or whatever. Um, so the chances of success are constantly being put onto these athletes. So, you know, to, in some ways to keep them motivated in, in other areas of their life. So, you know, so you, they talk all about backup plans. You know, you have to do well in school uh, because if you don't make it in athletics, you want to have that, you know, that thing to fall back on. You need to focus on getting a career because you have to have that to fall back on. And so uh, what ends up happening is there's always that sort of shred of doubt of only such a percentage of people actually make it. Am I actually good enough to do that? And so, and it's almost like the closer we get to knocking on that door, the more anxiety that produces um, because all of a sudden it becomes real. And this is the moment when people are really going to find out if I'm good enough or not. I've faked it this far along. Um, and now the, you know, the real pro scouts or whatever um, are going to be looking at me and they're going to be able to tell whether I'm really worthy or not. And so absolutely it's, it's, it's a thing. And it's, it's, it's pretty hard to break through actually. Oh yeah, I know. I know. I definitely have gone through it. It, it. For me, it was like a two year struggle just to even recognize and accept the fact that, yeah, I'm in a different place athletically at this point. And I think, you know, at the, at the core of it, which you hear about on tons of other podcasts is people finding their why and yep. like, do you have a why or why have a why? <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, I've got my why. Um, and I think depending on the sport that you have, um, that why can be absolutely critical. 
Um, and but I think every athlete really needs it because eventually what 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 sports come down to it success in sports um, is doing the difficult thing. Um, anybody can go out and you know any basketball player can go out there and run a scrimmage during practice. Um, anybody can play pickup ball. Everybody enjoys uh, shooting practice and shooting drills in baseball. People love you know, going out there and doing hitting practice and you know all of that kind of stuff. That's the fun stuff. The not fun stuff is waking up at five o'clock in the morning to go and um, do some dry land exercises for, you know, for swimming um, or going into the weight room. Um, the not fun stuff is dropping into an ice bath after a really difficult workout. You know, not fun stuff. And it's, it's too easy to hit the snooze button on your phone uh, to skip those workouts to um, when nobody's looking slow yourself down when you guys are supposed to you know when the team is supposed to be doing a run together or something like that it's too easy to take a step back during the really really difficult stuff and if you don't have that why and you don't believe in it enough you'll do those things you'll you'll take it easy on the run you'll skip a workout one day um you'll skip a couple of reps or a whole set when you're supposed to be in the gym doing something uh, because it's just not worth putting in that effort it's not worth putting in the hard stuff um, like i said the games are fun everybody loves playing a game Everybody has fun when the basketball's in their hand or um, when they're up to bat or when the football's, you know, when, the, when it's being thrown to them. Um, everybody has fun doing that, but it's the not fun stuff that really separates the, the great athletes from the ones that just turn out to be pretty good high school fo uh, football players. If that makes sense. Yeah, exactly. So I guess if you know your why, you have the foundation, yeah. you can do the planning and all the work. But I guess coming into Barkley, here's a race that you can plan all you want, but things are going to change. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I think that, you know, j jumping into to kind of my why, I, and I think this is a pretty similar why to a lot of endurance athletes. Um, <laughs> and I don't think it's understood by by a lot of my other friends or, or you know, other people that I talk to about running. Um Growing up, I was, like I said, I was always an athlete, um, and I played you know, everything, but it was always competitive team sports. Um, so basketball was a big one for me. I played football for a little while, um, and I loved playing team sports against an opponent. I loved beating an opponent. Um, and then, you know, as you get older, <laughs> what I found is that, uh, you know, the body breaks down a little bit more. I can't keep up with the 20-some-year-olds uh, that play basketball at the Y anymore. So, you know, beating really challenging opponents for me, it kind of lost its excitement. Um, and what I found was I really enjoy personal challenges. Um, I like to find a boundary for myself um, and try to do something that I, I'd say my why is doubt. Um, if I'm afraid I can't do something or if I don't know if I can do something, I'm driven to do that thing. And so, and I like to challenge myself along the way. Um, <laughs> even little things, actually, my, my oldest son um, wanted to come and do a spin class with me at our local YMCA. Um, and so I, you know, I did a little bit of cross training because I was having you know, some little little injury uh, stuff going on during my training. So I was doing some cross training. And so um, I was doing a spin class at the Y and my son wanted to come. So I said, sure. And he came in and he asked me where we should set up our bikes. And I told him, I showed him where I wanted to set up mine. And he asked why. And I told him, and the instructor kind of looked at me out for this. Um, I told him because the bike that I like is the one that's the farthest away from the fans. So I get zero airflow back there. <laughs> and he looked at me weird and the instructor was like, why do you want that? Um, and I, my response was, because if I'm gonna do something hard, why do I wanna make it easy on myself? And so, so my, it was actually kind of a cool moment. My son decided he wanted to sit back there with me and he suffered through the class with me and, um, and we got through it. But I think that's kind of my why is I wanna see what I can do. I wanna challenge myself. Um, to do really hard things. Uh, and in a lot of ways, the, the more traditional races just don't really appeal to me anymore. I've done marathons. Um, I know I can go 26.2 miles. Um, I've done plenty of half marathons. I've gone pretty fast before in my life. I know I can get up to speed if I need to. Um, I know I can do all of that stuff. Um, I became really fascinated with Barkley because uh, just like most people, I saw the documentary when it was out on Netflix years ago. Um, and it was actually kind of funny. I turned it on to just to have background noise while I was cleaning my house. Um, and within about a half hour, all cleaning stopped. And I'm sitting here just, you know, mesmerized by the TV, uh, watching and hearing stories about this race. And um, 
for a long time, I was really wrestling with running. I, like I said, I had run marathons. I'd run, you know, the challenges, the multi-day challenges. Um, I had never really ventured into ultra running. I didn't know much about it. Most of the people I trained with were, with our, you know, the marathon runners. We, we would go from training for a marathon, run the marathon, take two weeks off, identify the next marathon, train for marathon. And it was just sort of, you know, wash, rinse, repeat kind of thing. Um, and I was really kind of losing my excitement. I didn't have the why anymore because a marathon, it, I, this is not trying to, to say that the distance isn't difficult or that the, the feat isn't um, remarkable because it really is. It's a 26.2 miles, a long way to go. But for me, I, the, the mystery was gone. I know I can do it. Um, and so now that I know I can do it, the excitement was wearing off. Um, and so I saw this race and that just enticed me. It was, you know, can I, is that something I can even do? Um, and so I started doing more and more research into, into that race and into just Laz himself. I was listening to every podcast I could um, about him and, and the races. And that's when um, you know, I, I stumbled on the, uh, I was listening to a podcast about his other races. So like the strolling jam in the backyards and um, you know, his other stuff. And, and that's when I heard about the fall classic um, and did more research into it, found out that it's something I could uh, register on just with through alter sign up. There's not a big secret process. So in 2000 and let's see, in 2018, um, I registered for it, was pulled on the wait list and was never put in. Um, so I never got in that year. The next year I registered again, uh, was put on the wait list. Uh, so that was 2019. I actually got in on the lottery um, for that year. So it would have been the running of 2020. Um, but we all know what happened in 2020. Um, and so for that year, he was able to run the race, but he only ran it for previous 50K finishers. Um, and so I got deferred to 2021. Um, so that was the first time I attempted it. Um, and then uh, <laughs> I, I ended up with a marathon finish there. That was that was its own race and its own story for that one. Um, and uh, left there really, really feeling like I had unfinished business. Decided to register again for this year and again, got in luckily on the lottery again for this past year. Um, but yeah, circling back to that why, um, it's kind of funny, you know, I, I want to find that limit. I want to find the boundary for myself. I want to find what I'm capable of doing. And the first year we ran Barkley, uh, the Barkley Fall Classic, I'm sorry, um, I feel like I, I hit that. I, I, I smacked right up against a limit. And that actually motivated me more because I felt like that the reason that I hit that limit the first year and wasn't able to be able to make it on for a full 50K finish was a lot of my own doing. It was it was poor race management. It was making you know, just dumb decisions along the way um, that led me to <laughs> to where I was in that course. Um, and I felt like, you know, after having having that experience, knowing the you know, a little bit more about the course and how the races run, um, that I would make smarter decisions this time and so that, you know, I, I would be able to finish better. And uh, so it's it's almost like once I hit that 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 limit, that 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 limit of what I can do, I it motivates me more to try to push past it. So, um, so in a very long way of saying that's, that's kind of my why and, and how I ended up at the Barkley Fall Classic. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. So with a DNF in 2021, I guess coming into this year, you kind of, you, you have a gist for what the course is like and the reality that you're not getting the map until like the last second. Yep. Is there any way that you could plan around for the map or you just have to, you know, ignorance is bliss? Um, so there's definitely planning that you can do, you know, going into, to, I can give a, a quick story about last year. Um, going into it, like I said, I, I, I absorbed all Barkley material I possibly could. Um, I read race reports I could find online. I listened to podcasts um, uh, with, with guests and with the actual, you know, the, um, uh, the, the hosts had run the, the course. And you hear names. Um, so they don't say, here's here, where the course goes, but they just say names along the way. So you hear names like Bird Mountain. You hear names like Chimney Top. And you can get the the map of Frozen Head State Park just online. It's it's a state park, and so they have all that access there. Um, so just from listening to people talk, and also, again, if you read enough and listen enough, you can also find where certain things are. Um, like you can pretty easily find where Ratchel is. Um, you know, pretty easily identify where testicle spectacle is. You can you can kind of find these things. And so what I did was I I, I listened as much as I could and I I looked at the map and I thought to myself, okay, so how 
how can he possibly within I, I knew it was going to be longer i think you know most years it seems like most people uh, estimate the 50k to be closer to about 40 ish miles Ooh. so you know how can he connect all of these dots in that amount of time um and so i you know i kind of knew that there were going to be some people on the course um and so what i did my first year was i I knew that the big names, the ones that are in, you know, in the in the movie, um, the Ratchel and Testicle Spectacle and Meth Lab, I knew, and going through the prison, I knew that was going to be really challenging stuff. I knew that those were going to take a long time, um, but I I honestly didn't respect as much the the on trail stuff, the 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 the, the park trails um, that are well marked and maintained and everything. Didn't respect those. Um, I had done. A, a, a fair amount of running through the, the as, as much as we can do here in Florida, I guess, the mountains. Um, we, we go out to Oregon um, every year, a couple of times a year, and I you know, run up and down through the, the Cascades um, up through there. Um, I've done races in Virginia, up and down the uh, in the Jefferson National Forest, up in the mountains there. Um, you know, I did a race in uh, in Mount Hood. I don't know if you know where that's at. It's right outside of Portland. It's a big volcanic. Uh, mountain outside of Portland, um, lots of climbing on that race, and so I felt like you know on a on marked, maintained trails, I'm not going to have any issue with this. So I really, really I pushed um, for the first twenty ish miles of that year last year, and I I died on Chimney Top. Um, Chimney Top, the the veterans, which apparently I'm. I'm I sort of consider one of those now. I'm not a 50k finisher, but um, they they refer to Chimney Top as the unspoken evil. Um, it is a hard climb. It is really, really, really tough. And you know, all of a sudden, you turn a corner and there's more climbing, and it's yeah, you know, very uh, almost no switchbacks. Um, so it's just a big, long, relentless climb. And um, I did not hydrate well. Um, and so my nutrition was off and I could start to feel it. And, uh, you know, I thought, well, I'll just push through. Um, I can just push through. Let me take a little sip of tailwind here and there. Um, but, you know, I can get through this. And so uh, I ended up sitting down on chimney. I got uh, lightheaded and dizzy for a little bit and had to sit down for a while on it uh, because of that, making that choice of just trying to push through to get to the aid station. Uh, because the chimney top trail is also for ever <laughs> it is i think seven and a half miles um and so it takes for, with all that climbing it just takes forever and so in my head i was thinking it's only seven and a half miles you know i won't be on this for very long i'll be able to make it to the aid station so of course i didn't fuel up before we got on the chimney and then when i was on it um i just kept thinking around the next corner at any moment there's going to be this aid station um and so i really crashed out there um and i felt like i lost time uh, at that part and so um, that year, what ended up happening is once you get back to, up to Chimney Top, um, the next stop is actually Ratchel, but we did a, a half a Ratchel. So you end up getting to the mountain about halfway up, and then you just continue up to the fire tower. Um, and so I felt like, oh gosh, I've lost so much time on Chimney. I really need to get after it um, to make up some of that time. And there's uh, <laughs> there's no getting after it on Ratchel. It's, it's just... It's, really 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 tough and really slow um at this point that year it was also raining like crazy um and so the climbing it, you know you climb four steps up and slide five steps back um and so it was just it was really really tough and because of my nutrition being off and never really getting it together um i ended up with a lot of cramping um so i ended up my both quads kind of locked up on me and my calves cramped up. And so I was kind of stick manning it up. And then finally, I just, I realized I just can't get down. And so I ended up rolling over and laying in this real comfortable bed of briars and poison ivy. Um, and so I know what's going on. I have no nutrition in my body. I've done, you know, nothing is sticking with me. So I need to get some salt. And so I'm sitting here taking salt tabs and chugging uh, tailwind and taking gels. <laughs> and then, you know, taking all of that sugar and salt in um it also did not sit well in my stomach so <laughs> I, I, am i allowed to curse on this podcast <laughs> yeah um i you know i it, it felt like 
I'm laying there, I'm getting rained on, just thinking I'm either going to puke all over myself or shit myself. Um, <laughs> I've been here and I can't move because my legs are locked up. And then it just kept going in my mind. Like I, my, you know, of course, you know, the mind goes crazy. And you know, I was sitting there envisioning my obituary being like, you know, you know, Dr. Ben Snyder survived by wife and two children found dead covered in his own vomit and feces and, you know, up in some mountain in Tennessee. Um, but you know, like with everything and, and running, it, it doesn't always get worse. Um, and so I laid there for, I was probably on the side of that mountain for 30, 40 minutes. Um, and I, I laid there for a while and eventually the legs came back and I, I kept going. Um, you know, my goal was just next aid station. Yeah, I made it up to the top of rats and I thought, all right, well, you know, I got to see testicle and then I've got to see the prison. So I just wanted to keep going to those, those highlighted places. And I ended up actually getting the marathon finished that year. Um, I was nowhere close to the 50K cutoff. I was closer to being completely cut off uh, from the race. Um, but, you know, once I got the nutrition in order, I was able to, you know, to keep on rolling. But like I said, that was all my fault. It was, I, I, I paced incorrectly. Um, I didn't listen to my body. I, I was so focused on time um, rather than listening to what I needed to be able to finish. So I walked into this year feeling like, all right, I can, I can do this. Um, and again, uh, you know, going back to, to your map question, again, there's only there's only so much that can really be different. I mean, there are going to be differences, but, you know, I, 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 I know I'm going to be climbing at least one side of Chimney Top. I know I'm going to be um, going somewhere around Bird Mountain. I know how the, the, there's a lot of elevation uh, gain there. I know it's going to be big climbing. I also know that the trails that they have marked there that are marked difficult are really difficult. And I also know the ones that are marked moderate are actually still pretty difficult. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, you know, I went into this year feeling confident um, in my plan and my race plan. Um, and so, and I think that if you can go into into the, the Barkley Fall Classic like that, you stand a pretty good chance. Yeah, and I guess coming into the course this year, 7 a.m., you take off, you know, you finish that warm-up loop. But early <laughs> on, something happened to your shoe. Yeah. How did those early miles go and what happened? Yeah, that um, so the race starts and uh, it's this race is it's it's different than a lot of other races that I've been to. You know, typically that the ultra crowd is is very 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 supportive and very cool, uh, very talkative. You know, we all kind of realize that yeah, hey, we're about to go out here and do really difficult stuff for hours on end, and yeah, you know, we kind of have that connection. Um, but it's it seems like it's at, at kind of a next level at Barkley, and so um, while I was there. Um, yeah, I met. I was talking to people that I had met last year at the race and remembered me, and I remembered them. Yeah, it's it's almost like the starting shoot feels. It feels like you're running with a bunch of friends. It feels like you're about to go out on a group run with a bunch of like-minded people. You know, we're all there for basically the same reason. And so I start out running, and I'm feeling good, and I'm just talking with people. Um, and the run is actually going great. I, I feel like I'm pacing well. I'm, I'm moving. It starts out with a pretty, uh, not steep, but long uh, climb up this Jeep road. Um, this is one that yeah, last year I ran pretty much the entire thing. Um, this year I knew I, you don't need to run. You don't need to burn out those legs yet. Um, that, uh, so I was, I was power hiking it. We were moving up at a pretty good pace um, and just talking to people along the way. And uh feeling really, really good. Um, and then we start this descent. Um, and again, I'm feeling great, um, you know, moving well. Uh, yeah, my main focus, honestly, on this part is just don't do anything to ruin the race. You know, don't, don't sprain an ankle. Um, you know, just get through this section. If you can get through this in a decent time, you'll be fine. Just get through it. And so that's what I was doing. And we ended up... Um, going down uh down to the base of bird mountain and again running fine and i'm in, i'm talking with this this woman from uh you know from denver colorado i met her a few times and um uh, along the way and you know, we're in the middle of talking and i can feel something um in my right foot and what it felt like was that something big like a big rock had gotten underneath of my toes and i remember thinking what the hell? How did how did something get that something that large get into my shoe? And so I looked down, and uh, and what I saw was the the upper from my shoe had actually separated from the midsole. 
Um, so the you know the foam and the rubber were were dangling down, and my you know my the, the upper was right there. It looked like uh, it looked like an alligator talking. And <laughs> all the way back, basically about halfway down the shoe. And what was stuck there was an acorn. An acorn had gotten wedged in there. And it was, you know, immediate reaction. Um, it was, this was about five miles into the race. On the, the warm-up loop, the candy-ass trails, as, as Laz calls them, um, the warm-up loop, we hadn't even gotten into anything difficult yet. Um, and five miles in, I'm looking down at my shoe thinking, what the hell am I going to do? Um, and so this is, you know, I think the, um, yeah, some my, my background with the, the sports psych, uh, it helped out here some, um, because it essentially what I allowed, I allowed myself to be mad for 30 seconds. I looked at my watch and I told myself I can be mad for 30 seconds. Um, and so I was, I, I, I got pissed. I cursed. I was you know in my head thinking about like, what the fuck am I going to do with this? How, like, how did this happen? I've, you know, I came into this race and this is going to be the thing that sidelines me. Um, and then at the end of that 30 seconds, um, I shifted into, okay, so here's the reality that I'm in. Um, you know, I accepted that there was emotion there. And then, you know, I, I committed to a plan after that. I, you know, this is my reality. I've got to accept it and figure out a way to be successful. Um, and so, uh, yeah, just at that point where we were, luckily enough, um, we had just descended, um, down to the base of a bird. Um, and I knew just from the course last year, um, once you get to the top of bird mountain, it's a little bit of a, of a confusing intersection. And last year there was a volunteer up there, um, at that exact same intersection. And so, um, I thought to myself, all right, going descending, is going to be tough. Um, I was really worried about you know, my, my talking shoe clipping a root or a, 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 you know, something getting lodged in there and tripping me up and me falling downhill uncontrollably. But going up, I felt like I had a little bit more control. It's going to be a little bit slower of a pace. Um, you know, gra gravity is not going to be pr propelling me up the mountain. So if I end up tripping on something, it'll be, it'll be easier to brace the fall. So I knew that was not going to impact me too much with the climb. Um, I just wanted to make sure I didn't end up scraping it on something that tore the entire midsole off. Um, it was still connected um, about halfway down my, the arch of my foot. And so, and I said, okay, hopefully that um, the volunteer is up there. And if she is, I, hopefully she has something that can hold my shoe together. I was hoping for duct tape. Um, and so we got up there and she, the, the woman was there. And so I stopped and uh, asked her if she had any duct tape and she said no. And then, uh, but she said, but hold on a second. I do have a first aid kit. And <laughs> the first aid kit and I took the, the medical tape and I did about, you know, five loops with medical tape around uh, the, the, the toe box of my shoe um, to just <laughs> to literally tape my shoe together to be able to get back down Bird Mountain. Um, and so I was a little bit you know, gentle with it going down because again, it's, this is just, you know, white medical tape. It's not, uh, it's not made to hold, uh, you know, that kind of, uh, you know, that kind of stress. Um, but it did, it held together. Um, and I, I was able to make it down and a, a fairly decent time, um, and, you know, rolled into the, uh, the second aid station, which was right at the visitor center. So right before the, the big climb up chimney, um, and, uh, it was great. I saw my uh, my wife and my kids were both there. Uh, my kids had made some signs for me, and so that was a you know, it was a, a really nice moment. But uh, you know, my wife was looking at me. She could see that I had a you know, pretty serious face on. So I smiled at the kids, waved at them, and then I asked her. Uh, I let her know what's going on. I said my shoe fell apart. I need some duct tape. And uh, so she was like, yeah. You know, at first, <laughs> she was with like a crowd of people. At first, everyone kind of laughed because it's you know it is ridiculous. I'm running with freaking tape holding my shoe together. But then it was like this moment of all of them realizing, oh shit, like this is a big deal. Um, <laughs> um, and so luckily, I got there to the aid station, and some of the the, the park rangers that were working the aid station uh, had a, a, a small amount of duct tape. And so, um, my, my wife has some pretty cool pictures of the, uh, the ranger sitting there duct taping my shoe. Um, and so she, uh, my wife was like, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? As she was talking to me. And I said, well, you know, can you just, if you're going to the prison, um, can you ask them if anybody at that aid station has duct tape? Um, and if they do, could you ask them to get it ready? Because I'm going to be coming down Ratchall here in a little while. 
and uh, because I knew you know, part of the, um, the the rules of the race, uh, you can't accept aid outside of the aid station. So whatever's at the aid station, you can take, but anything outside of that, you can't. And also you can't have drop bags. Um, so my wife actually offered, I, ha- I had a spare pair of trail shoes and uh, uh, not all me, they were in a cabin that we had rented and the cabin was 10 minutes away from the start. And so she could have very easily gotten the trail shoes and met me um, at the prison right after Rachel. So I could have traded shoes, but again, that was, it's, it's against the, the rules of the race. Um, so it was, you know, it was duct tape or nothing really, um, is what it came down to. Um, and so again, ended up going up chimney top, uh, the duct tape held well there. Um, but going down Ratchel, this is the, the first year in the Barkley fall classic where we actually had to go down rat. Um, that's, that's where they pretty much got shredded. Um, it was, yeah, by the time we got to the bottom of it, um, it was just, the, again, the shoe was kind of flapping. The duct tape was, was shredded and lacing off and everything like that. Um, and so, yeah, we get to the, the prison. I run through the tunnel, um, <laughs> the, the wetness of the tunnel, uh, just, they completely took all of the, uh, um, the stickiness off of the duct tape and it just, yeah, the, the little ring of duct tape, I just pulled it off my shoe. Uh, <laughs> I didn't want to litter. Um, but again, luckily after going through the tunnel and over the, over the back wall, we went right into an aid station and luckily enough, one of the, the workers there, um, had some duct tape and, uh, yeah, then that's just how the race went. Um, and, uh, you know, duct taped it again. Um, and, uh, yeah, every, every single aid station along the way, uh, by the time I got to it, the, the tape was just so shredded, um, that, it, you know, I needed to sit down and redo it again. Um, I will say I got very, very good at it. By the end, my technique uh, was refined very well. By the last, my last duct taping um, lasted um, all the way, you know, from uh, the top of, or I'm sorry, from the prison. I made it up Rachel and then back down, um, and the tape actually held well uh, because I had refined my process. But I, you know, in order to do that, it ended up a little bit doing it. But again, I can go into that in a little bit. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, it definitely made for an interesting race because, um, by the end, um, I felt like I paced myself really, really well. Uh, I had, I, I never had to stop. I was never one that had to stop and sit down. Um, my nutrition was perfect. My, my, my every, I tolerated everything. I ate really well. I never got sick. Um, the heat that seemed to take a lot of people out, it didn't impact me at all. I think that maybe one of the wonderful things about training over the summer in Florida um, is that I, I never even noticed how hot it was. I just didn't even register with me. Um, I ran the race well and I paced it really, really well. But because of that shoe, because I had to stop over and over and over again to, to tape the thing, I just ate up so much of my time. Um, I, uh, so the, uh, the woman I'd met from, from Denver, um, like I said, I met, I met her a few times on the course. She was with me when the, when the shoe fell apart, we climbed up bird together. She took off, um, or continued, she didn't take off. She continued on down the mountain when I'm getting, when I, I was up at the top taping my shoe and I ended up catching up with her going up a uh, chimney top and her and I spent a lot of time together at the top of chimney top and then tape the shoe again. And so she gets ahead of me and then I catch up with her. Um, at the aid station at, 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 after testicle spectacle. Um, and, you know, she sees me there again. And, you know, and uh, again, I'm having to stop and tape the damn shoe. This was actually kind of cool. John Kelly, a previous finisher, was there at that aid station. Um, and he actually helped me tape my shoe. So that's kind of a, that was kind of a cool story. That <laughs> was him for a little bit. Um, but, and then, you know, after that, uh, she had taken off from the aid station while I was getting taped, and I ended up catching up with her again, going up testicles. So I was, you know, I was, I was catching people, and I was, um, you know, I was, I was making really, really good time. Um, but because of having to tape, she actually ended up. She came. It's a, she, she's heartbreaking. Um, she ended up finishing. Uh, she was the very first DNF. Um, she finished about six seconds over the 50K time. So you have 13 hours and 20 minutes. I think she was 13.20.06 or something like that. Oh, man. But, and, and she did, she was, she was a badass. Um, and she had such a cool attitude. She was, she was you know, awesome to run with for a little bit of time. She was so positive about everything. But all that keeps running through my mind was, you know, had I not had this shoe, you know, I was, I was catching up with her. I was catching up with other people along the way that I actually know finished the race. And, you know, I was right there. Um, and it just, it's, it, it was something outside of my control. Um, I still at this race, 
once there's a point they don't want people out in the woods too long after the, the, the park doesn't and uh so there's there comes a time where um you meet up with laz where he calls it the, the decision point and if you're ahead of the cutoff time um he allows you to continue or you know he'll try to entice you with going in for you know the marathon finish which is still a dnf um and uh you know, he'll, he'll say clever things like, hey, you could finish first place in the marathon if you go in right now. Or, you know, he'll, he, he says kind of clever things like that. But most people, obviously, they, they go on for that 50K. Um, but if you hit that point after a certain time, you're forced to go in um, for, the, uh, for the marathon finish. You're not allowed to continue on. Um, and uh, that, was, that was tough for me. Um, you know, I held it together pretty well throughout the whole race after aside from that 30 seconds i went directly into yeah this is here's a problem find a solution here's a problem find a solution get to here get to here um yeah i was i was very yeah just strategic mechanical you know going through um <laughs> and you end up you, you come down this trail and you end up on a uh, um like a little dirt road that runs into where you meet Laz. um and i uh <laughs> I saw my kids. Um, they came running down the dirt road when they saw me come down, um, and that's when it, it you know, it, it, that's when it really hit me. Um, that shit, I'm still like, it's still hasn't. I'm still not okay with it. Um, yeah, I come up short again. Um, and the the most difficult thing was last year. It was, it was me. This year it wasn't me. This year it was something that was outside of my control. It was these, you know, the, the damn shoes. Um, and so seeing my kids and my wife there, um, yeah, that kind of that devastated me a little bit. Um, so I, I spent a moment with them. <laughs> I think I kind of scared my kids a little bit because, yeah, I, I, I was pretty upset and, and crying a little bit. And my kids were like, we've never seen dad cry before. <laughs> so, uh, that was kind of interesting. Um, but yeah, I just uh, I walked up to Laz and I, I got my bib punched um, uh, and I, I shook his hand and um you know, I ran in for the, the marathon finish and uh, it was, it was, it's a tough pill to swallow. It really is. There's so many factors either. I mean, you toss it in the shoe, but then you just have the terrain and the course in general to go through all the crawling, all the climbing, all yeah. of that to even, you know, account for. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the, the, the courses, everybody talks about it. Now I'll repeat, I'll be a parrot. I'll repeat everything that everybody else says. It, it's, it's brutal. Um, Ratchel is, it's, it's hard to, to gauge it from watching the movie because the movie takes place in the spring so it's had a whole winter uh, to kill off um, a lot of the stuff out there so it's it's the briars and everything are still there they're going to cut you up um but it's all sort of brown and you can see very clearly um and uh, and everything that um the fall classic takes place in september so all of those briars and poison ivy um have had an entire spring and summer um to grow and so yeah these these saw briars are over your head for a lot of it um you know, you're kind of having to peek up and kind of see where you're at uh the leaders do carve a pretty good path but it's it's still um it's still rugged to get through and there's uh, there were areas where the briars are so thick over your head. You actually did. It was like a tunnel of briars that you have to crawl through. And, you know, there's <laughs> the buzzing of, of yellow jackets. And, um, you know, there's this fear of rattlesnakes. I have not seen a rattlesnake on the course, but there were a couple of them out this year. I saw pictures of them. Um, I haven't seen that. And so Ratchaw is, is that. And Meth Lab and, and Testicle are just, they're just as steep, if not steeper in some parts. Um, but the big difference is they're just, they're wide open. Um, you're just completely exposed to the sun the entire time. And they just, none of these climbs ever end. I don't know how the hell it happens like this, but <laughs> you look and you're thinking, wow, okay, there's the top right there. And then you get up there and then there's more to climb and you know and, and you're looking ahead at these people climbing in front of you and they're just on their hands and knees or yeah you know, it's it's some areas it's almost like three points of contact on the mountain the entire time or you know it's it's it, it can get kind of sketchy but you know what in, in a lot of ways it's it's kind of fun i grew up in, in west virginia and i remember running through the woods and i remember um you know going up and down the mountains like we didn't switch our switch back our way we you know ran up or we ran straight down um so in some ways it's it's kind of like that for me like that that part was actually kind of neat but it's it is it's it's so hard 
um, it's it's hard to describe how hard it actually is. I mean, do you have a favorite section between like rat jaw, testicle spectacle, that that tunnel thing you go through, and obviously you know you got all the false summits. Yeah. Um, the most fun thing probably, is, and I think just kind of the coolest is going through the tunnel and then climbing over the back prison wall. Um, that's just, it's just kind of cool. Um, of those, of, of the big elements though, um, I'd say the, well, <laughs> last year in the rain, um, going up and down testicle spectacle was probably one of the funniest things that I've ever experienced in a race. Um, it was just, it's a mudslide. People are sliding all over the place, running into p- uh, uh, other people. You know, you, you see these people just climb it and this, you know, they're working so hard just to make it 10 feet straight up this, you know, this basically just a, a big water slide you're trying to climb up and then they grab onto what they think is a secure whatever route and it just comes out of the ground and you see them sliding down another 20 feet and then (laughs) you see them just sort of put their head in the mud and it's i mean it's it's everyone all you can do is laugh it's like a dark humor it's like all you can do in that moment is laugh because you know that you are half a second away from that being you um and so that was actually it's as difficult as it was that was actually kind of fun but i actually kind of enjoy ratchet it is again when you're out there it's not that much fun when you're climbing it but once you get to the point where you get to the halfway point you see the road um that was pretty cool um yeah you, you realize that you're you're halfway up and you're you've done the easiest half the second half is just it's it gets harder um but knowing that you've hit that checkpoint is kind of cool um this year was kind of funny there was uh one of the the um, the race, the guys who puts on the race, I don't know if you consider him a director or not, but it's, his name's Larry Kelly. Um, he, uh, he was there with his dog. Um, the dog was really cool. And I was uh, about to keep going up and he was, uh, you know, he pulled me aside and he said, Hey, you want to go up this, the right side. I know the left side looks like there's a good path, but you want to go up the right side because they found a, a yellow jacket's nest going in the left side. And I guess the guy who had come up Ratchel right behind me um, didn't hear that message because as Larry was talking to me, this guy just went charged right through this left side. Um, and yeah, all you see is him go in and he disappears into these briars and you hear buzzing and then him go, oh, fuck, fuck. And then just <laughs> um, like, I mean, and all you see are just briars shifting either way. And so, and he looked at me, I was like, well, that's why you want to go to the right. So, but yeah, so there's, there's some funny stories that happen on Ratchel, but the best feeling in the world is getting to the top. Um, yeah, you're climbing and climbing and climbing, and all of a sudden, like out of nowhere, you just see the fire tower at the top, and you realize that you're there. Um, the amount of elation that is uh, at the top of that mountain is, is indescribable because you've just done something so hard and so painful, and you're so cut up, and you, have, you got blood dripping down your legs and arms, and you, it's you, it's like you just conquered an enemy. Um, so it's it's a it's a pretty amazing feeling, and so I, I kind of like that section too. Yeah, I heard about the yellow jackets. There are a ton of people I heard that got just stung up by them. <laughs> yeah, they're everywhere. Um, yeah, uh, they're, uh, they're 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 like to give little kisses on Ratchel. So, <laughs> luckily, I actually didn't get stung. I think I got stung by like a sweat bee or something like that. But I can't complain about that. It got into my glove um, and got stuck in there and just kept on like kind of tapping at me. Um, but no, nothing, nothing big stung me and nothing big bit me. Um, so, and I guess, you know, we can kind of wrap it up with obviously what's the good, the bad and the ugly out there. What's that final thought, those final reflection for the Barkley fall classic. Yeah. Final reflections, the good, the bad, the ugly. I think <laughs> the, the bad is, is obviously the, the shoe, um, that, that really frustrated me. And that's still, that's still something that frustrated me. But, um, I'd, I'd say honestly that the, good was some of the conversations I was able to have with my kids afterwards. Um, I, you know, so obviously I've, uh, it's, this one's still tough on me. Um, and I'm still, I still get, you know, uh, it's, it's tough to think about stuff. It's tough to talk about because, um, you know, you spend, I spent an entire year really thinking about this race, preparing for this race, every single race and training run I did over the past year, every time I went to the gym, it was all focused on this race. Um, I missed time with friends. Um, I missed a lot. Um, I sacrificed a lot um, to be able to to come into this race and be successful um, and to have something that was outside of my control you know, take that away because these shoes were also I had a couple of people asked me how old the shoes were they only had about 80 miles in them i mean i had just you know they, these shoes were broken in they were ready to roll um oh. <laughs> it, it was a fluke thing i guarantee you that 
you know, on the factory floor line, the glue that they put down on to connect the midsole and the, the upper probably was just almost out at that time. It was, it was absolutely a fluke thing, but to train all year and have that happen, it was, it was really hard to deal with. Um, but like I said, it led to some really, really cool conversations. Um, you know, the first one was, uh, with my kids just about, um, integrity. Um, you know, my kids said, why didn't you just get your other shoes? Um, why didn't you have mom get your other shoes for you? And, uh, you know, I'd said it's, it's because it's against the rules. Um, she very easily could there, she could have dropped him anywhere on that course. Um, and nobody would have known, nobody would have, uh, caught me doing it. Um, nobody thinks to take, you know, to check everyone's shoes before they, uh, um, before they start and finish a race. Um, it could have been done really easily, but that's, that's not the purpose of this race. The, the purpose of this race is to challenge yourself and out there. I think everybody you talk to has some experience out there that is going to challenge them. It's adversity. It's all about how in the face of adversity, how do you handle it? How do you deal with it? And to me, if I, if I had her bring me those shoes, it, it, it would have cheapened that experience. Um, and it, it, it's just not in the spirit of what this race is supposed to be. Um, and so having the, the conversation with the kids about that and, you know, talking with them about, you know, just the fairness of life that sometimes in your life, you can do everything right. You can put all of your heart into something. Um, and sometimes things don't work out. And, you know, the more important thing in life is not about how do you handle it when things, everything goes your way and you win. Um, it's how do you handle yourself when you do everything right and things don't go your way? Um, do you handle yourself with, like I said, integrity in class or or not? And so it, it led to some really, really cool conversations with the kids and some you know, some neat moments um, and some, yeah, some kind of good like self-reflection as well. I'd say <laughs> the ugly um, is um, so this race, um, I it actually falls on my anniversary. Um, and uh, so my wife and I, uh, this was our uh, 16th wedding anniversary. Um, <laughs> um, and uh, obviously the, the year before, when we did it before, was our 15th wedding anniversary. Um, and so for an anniversary present, I am... Uh, I, I'm taking my wife and my kids to, you know, it, it really is a lovely town. Wartburg, Tennessee is is really, really cool community, and it's a really awesome, tight-knit community. Um, but it's not exactly your, like, go-to honeymoon, or not honeymoon, uh, anniversary destination. Um, and for anniversary, again, I'm, I'm leaving my wife at 5.30 in the morning um, to spend all day long with our children uh, by herself and then uh, and then drive home because I'm too torn up to drive the next day. So drive the, uh, the 12 hours back down to Florida from there. Um, so I'd say, um, the ugly is unfortunately, um, next year, uh, the race literally falls on our anniversary day. Um, and as soon as she saw me after the race and knew how everything went, um, she booked our cabin again for next year. And so the ugly, unfortunately is going to be my anniversary for next year. Um, again, I'm going to be looking pretty ugly by the end of that day, I think. Um, but I got to say without, she is amazing. I can't, everybody wants to, to talk about their spouses and how amazing they are. Um, the fact that my wife has stuck with me through all of this, um, and continues to be supportive and, and love me through this and everything. Um, it's, it's pretty amazing. So I do, I, I appreciate her more than she could ever imagine, but uh, long story short, do not follow me for good, uh, marital advice or wedded bliss. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I'd say that that's, that's my good, the bad and the ugly for this race. See what happens is you have to finish it next year because then that following year you go, Hey honey, we're heading back to Tennessee. But don't worry, we're going to Gatlinburg or we're going to Pigeon Forge. We're going somewhere better. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's. Uh, I think she'd be more more in favor of that. But yeah, so I do. I, she's fantastic. She's 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 put up with a lot. Um, but yep. Yeah, so. Well, hey, this was awesome.
Yeah, man, I, I appreciate it. Um, it's it's cool to talk about. I like I like talking about this stuff. Uh, again, it helps me kind of process it and, and plan out for next year. You know, I'm, I'm going back. I got to get that finish. There's there's work to be done still. Um, and even though I you know I feel like I did well with my planning this year, there's always stuff you can learn. And so you know, again, training has already started. Uh, you know, for next year's race, I'm already starting to try to build some foundations of things that uh, that I can do better. We'll see what happens next year. It's crazy how something honestly so dumb you know it's, it's running a stupid race and in, in tennessee it, it could it can get, you know, develop that much meaning you know personally for somebody but that's it's cool it's cool but yeah man i really appreciate you uh you, you having me on and letting me talk about this and you know being willing to hear my story at least yeah it was awesome <laughs> yeah man no worries um yeah like i said i appreciate you taking the time this is cool this is very cool heck yeah appreciate it all right i'll talk to you later yep see ya bye And there we have it for Dr. Ben Snyder in the Barkley Fall Classic. Holy cow, what, what a crazy series of events. From the shoe to the training to the course, amazing. And honestly, I cannot wait for next year to hear more stories from the Barkley Fall Classic and hopefully some stories from the Barkley. And with that, up next, we've got stories from the Blue Ridge Ultra with your race director, Jeff, and your overall champion, Corey Waltering, and the official DFL from here in Florida, Amanda Dean. So I'm excited for that. And hey, until next time, happy trails. Happy trails.